Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg, along with co-host Clayton Baumgarth. Today we're talking about employing people with disabilities. We have four guests with us. Three are in the studio. We have in the studio Christy Russell, Manager of Adult and Youth Employment Services for Bosma Navigating Blindness. Dr. Judith Gross, Associate Research Scientist at IU and the Director of the Center on Community Living and Careers. And Dr. Derek Nord, who's the Director of the Indiana Institute on Disability and Community and Professor in Curriculum and Instruction Special Education Program. Also, Dr. David Mank is joining us from his home in New Hampshire. He's Professor Emeritus at Indiana University and a part-time Senior Advisor for the Office of Disability Employment Policy of the U.S. Department of Labor. If you have questions or comments, you can phone us at 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 877-285-9348. You can also send us your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition and send us questions there. So happy to have all of you here. Clayton, good to be with you here today. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Co-hosting. All right. Thank you. I wanted to start with a question. I'm going to start with with Derek um, to ask about, you know, I did this preview of the show talking about how things are looking a little bit better for employing people with disabilities um, because of the pandemic and I don't know if there are other factors but I just wanted to sort of throw that out there in a general sense and ask if that's what you're seeing from where you sit. Yeah, that's a good question. I think I think my my shortish answer would be um, it's definitely better today than it has been. I think I think the stats show that there are a lot more people with disabilities in the workforce and the labor force. Um, than even ever before, and that's great strides. Um, at the same time, I, however, I think it's worth acknowledging that there's a long ways to go. There's still a lot of people with disabilities entirely excluded from the labor force, either by choice or because um, the the you know employers aren't employing them. Uh, they're having a difficult time finding finding quality jobs. So um, so there continue to be major challenges, undoubtedly. But um, there's been a, a great deal of progress that's been made. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the the rate was still thirty nine percent in the last statistic. So that's there's right. there's room for growth. Absolutely. Yeah, thirty nine percent of all people with disabilities are working, mm-hmm. compared to seventy eight percent of people without disabilities. That's a, st- a, a d- dramatic separation, and I think it's one that we just need to acknowledge, even in these good these better times. Okay, Dr. Judith Gross, I wanted to ask you the same question. What's your take on how things are going? Um, I I agree with Derek completely on that. I think that one thing that COVID did for people with disabilities when it comes to employment is it helped employers to see that accommodating people on the job is really not that hard. It's not that scary because when COVID happened and we all had to go home, everybody had to be accommodated in some way shape or form. And so I think that um, there are accommodations that are now available for people with disabilities and jobs that where maybe employers hadn't previously considered that as um, workable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Christy? Yeah, um, I certainly echo uh, what's been said so far. I would add, in general, I think there seems to be more of an openness to um, to the question of how can someone with a disability do this job. I think we're definitely seeing a trend in a positive direction there to being more open, that there's not necessarily one way of performing a job task, that uh, indeed we're all different. We all approach things differently and we should experience that on the workforce as well. Um, And I think too, we're seeing more people interested in um, diversity 
aside from just looking at gender and race and things of that nature, but actually looking at ability as well and understanding that really on any given day, any of us could become a person with a disability. And we still want to be contributing members of our community. We still want to work. We still want to, um, you know, have a life and enjoy things. And so it, it's not a separate group of humans. You know, we're, we're all in this together and we all do things a little bit differently. And I, and I think in general, there seems to be more of an openness to that idea. And David Mank, can you uh, add anything to your three yeah, colleagues? Yeah, I think those are great points. If there were a couple of surprises, um, first would have been the number of people with disabilities that were working in essential jobs that uh, continued to work throughout the pandemic. And number two, uh, understanding uh, the nature of remote work, all of a sudden jobs could be a possibility for people without leaving home uh, or maybe transportation or other barriers were a problem. All of a sudden there's another kind of job that's open that wasn't open before. All right, Clayton? Well, that leads uh, excellently into kind of what I was thinking to ask. And in, in having this new way of for people to work, are we seeing kind of more openings in jobs that maybe traditionally weren't filled by people with disabilities? Are there more, some more access to different kinds of jobs after this? I don't know that I've actually seen any statistics on that. Yeah, I, I haven't seen statistics on it, but I think I think the I think it it the answer would be yes. I think the opportunities are made are have broadened uh, for people, and I I mean people as a whole. Um, I I do think uh, with that broadening of opportunities, and I think of you know the institute that I, that I work at. We have greater opportunities for people to work from a distance with us. Um, and, and it just opens the door for more people to walk through. Now, you know, I think a, a wider open door provides greater opportunities oftentimes for people with disabilities. So I think that's just something that is uh, generally um, accepted right now in the workplace, uh, at, le at least at this current moment. Yes, but I, I look to my colleagues here. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think that, that it has... Um, created more opportunities perhaps in jobs that like i said previously you were expected you had to be in the office and mm -hmm. with covid there came an understanding that people can be trusted to work from a distance um so probably i would say that 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 has opened things up a bit i think clayton to answer your question in terms of specific jobs um from from the standpoint of the individuals we serve, all of our individuals are people living with vision loss so on some some level, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's total blindness or just legally blind with some vision impairment. Um, you know, with our individuals, they come to us with all types of different work backgrounds. You know, there's not a typical job that say, you know, you know I get asked all the time, what do blind people do? You know, what jobs <laughs> do blind people do? Or where does blind people work? Well, of course, there's a lot of them work here at Bosma, right? But but, but really, there's a lot more of us in the community. And, and I think it's not so much that we saw a difference in jobs being more available, right? Um, but I think going back to my original comment of being more open to understanding how that person would then do that job. Um, one of the common misconceptions with vision loss is, well, if they're visually impaired, how do they use a computer? And, you know, given the pandemic, it was like, well, here we can show you, you know, mm -hmm. I can put you on Zoom, I can connect to Zoom, I can email you, I can do all those things. It was given, I think they were given the opportunity to show how they use technology, which then helped an employer understand, oh, oh, they do use a computer. Oh, they can remote in and, and perform essential jobs, you know, within our company. So I think from, for our standpoint, it wasn't necessarily the jobs, it was more of the exposure to how they do a job. I think, and I think that gets to a, a kind of a, a shift in how disability is kind of thought of. In, in the United States, there's a long history of, of, of people with disabilities needing to be fixed, as if the problem was about them. The challenges that they experienced were really them. And I think, I think there's been a, lo a long history of push in over decades that I think the pandemic really highlighted is the challenge isn't of the person, it's of the person, or it's of the environment that they're trying to engage in, that the disability doesn't need to be fixed, it's the environment that needs to be manipulated so they can engage, be, they can fully engage in that environment. And I think the workplace really in over the pandemic, you know, the shift to say online virtual um, options of work 
it really shifted that kind of thinking for employers where now they there was this acknowledgement that the environment for everybody needs to change for them to work. And for people with disabilities who've been asking for that shift for a long time, it provided this kind of moment of we've been telling you so for a long time. This is how we can be more engaged because now I can work at home. I can work um, electronically, uh, you know, um, by way of Zoom on a, on a call. I can work on a computer at my house. So. So I think that that way of shifting has really shown the world, or at least in the United States, a great deal that if we shift how we do this as employers, we actually have greater access to employees, employees who need the environments to change to be more accommodating to their needs. So I, I just think that's a really important shift of how we've thought about I, employment. I completely agree. And Derek, what came to my mind when you said that was those with disabilities have been saying all along, you know, accessibility isn't just for them, that most of the time it's it's benefits the whole environment um so the term universal accessibility is really powerful and i think covid and the pandemic really showed the power of that because whether you were disabled or not (laughs) you had to figure out how to access your job you know and so universal accessibility quickly became everyone's forefront not just those with disabilities i want to before we get too far into the program i do want to ask um David Mag and Derek Nord about the uh, Institute on Disability and Community. It's one of those, it's kind of a, a, a gem here on the Indiana University campus, but I'm not sure how widely understood it is. Can, could, uh, David, let's start with you to, to uh, talk about what the Institute is and what it does, and then Derek, you can fill in the blanks. Well, I think a phrase that describes the Institute quite well is uh, research to practice. Uh, taking good ideas about uh, improving quality of life, employment, community living for people with significant disabilities, understanding best practices, conducting the research in order to put that into practices in communities um, uh, across Indiana and, frankly, across the country. Mm-hmm. And Derek, you have seven different centers in the absolutely, in the and and. and and there's a good, a, there's been a long history, and there will continue to be a, a long future um, with focus on employment in particular. Um, but we have a, centers that focus on employment, on on education, K-12, early education, autism, um, health, uh, parks and recreation, and and evaluation. So a, a wide number of topics. And I think I think to David David's point, or to add to David's point, you know, we serve we uh, at IU at Indiana University, kind of in the broadest sense. You'll hear. Um, this talk about ivory tower, um, about higher education. We, our job is to really push the ivory tower away. Not that I, I think it's maybe overstated quite a bit, and really serve as that catalyst that that brings these ideas that come from a university and those kind of you know from research and teaching and really get them out so we can use them in the community to to do better um, and serve people with disabilities better and have better outcomes. So um, that's really that's really the hope. And, and the strive, and I'm proud. The Institute does a really good job at that. But it's, I say that because it's a, it's a huge resource for the state um, and for any of the listeners. I think it's, um, think of us, go to our website. We have a lot of resources um, for the state to use. So. And we can draw down a little bit more because Judith, you're, in, you're involved with one of, the, one of the centers, right? So can you talk about your center? Yes, um, I'm the director of the Center on Community Living and Careers. Uh, so our focus is, as it sounds, we're focused on helping people with disabilities to live, uh, work, go to school, participate in their communities. Um, we have a um, many projects at the center. Um, we have one called the Indiana Secondary Transi- Transition Resource Center, and it focuses on school-age youth with disabilities and their transition from school to adulthood whether that is going straight to work, going to post-secondary education, or um, you know, some combination of those two. And then um, among that, we also have other work that we do in the state with training uh, vocational rehabilitation providers, community rehabilitation providers. Those are folks who help people with disabilities to get jobs. We also train special educators, so teachers who work with people with disabilities in the schools, as well as we do training for individuals with disabilities themselves and family members to better understand what those, um, what the, that everybody can and should work um, and how to go about doing it. What are those resources that you can tap into that can help you 
to uh, attain and maintain a job over time. This is probably a, this may sound like a, I don't know if it's a good question or it sounds like a crass question, but what's, what's your market? I mean, how big, how many people do you, are you working with? How many organizations are you working with? In the state? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. A lot. It's a big number. I honestly don't know. I don't, um, and, and, it's, and it grows every day, which is exciting. Um, you know, we are, are working on some new partnerships um, in the state as, as well as we have our traditional ones. Um, we have some new and exciting work that we're going to be doing at the Department of Juvenile Correction around transition and um, always available to, to reach out to, to folks in the state and work with them. Um, we have uh, an open office hours every Thursday afternoon, and anyone can come to the open office hours. It can be family, it can be teachers, it can be service providers, uh, colleagues. If they have a question about anything transition, my staff are there to talk about it. We, we, um, we have benefits counseling services as well that we run in the state, so it's pretty, pretty yeah, intense. I think last year the Institute had 70,000 people we connected with, so okay. um, I know Judith's group in particular has done ample work, con- right. contribution to that number for sure. <laughs> I'm, I want to turn it over to, to uh, Clayton here in just a second, but I want to give our numbers again. 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also send us your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org or to find us on Twitter. We're at Noon Edition. Yeah, so we've seen this uptick kind of from what I'm gathering from you guys thanks to the ability to work remotely. Um, but more recently, we're seeing a lot of companies actually kind of rebound after the fact, now that we're kind of over, quote unquote, the pandemic. Um, I'm curious what you guys' thoughts are. Do you think that there's a risk of these jobs going away soon now that um, we're on the other side of this? Or what are your thoughts? I would say from our standpoint of what we've seen, um, I don't I wouldn't say that's necessarily that they're going to go away. I feel like employers have done a really nice job of being very clear up front about these positions, whether or not they are temporary, uh, seasonal, you know, we just came out of the holidays, <laughs> um, or if they're contract-based, so term-limited. Mm-hmm. I feel as though companies have been very clear. I have not personally seen where jobs are necessarily at risk of going away. I wouldn't necessarily say there's like an influx of new positions that aren't you know, here to be permanent. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure about my colleagues here, but not from our experience. I feel like employers have been been very clear. And, and, you know, that's our role is to educate the individual, hey, here's what they're looking for. I understand you may want something more permanent or this or that, but you need to be aware of what they're hiring for and make your decision based on their needs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think I think just to add to that, I do I do think – I, I fear. I think anyone in the field of employment and disability f- fears um, it changing because it, this has been such great progress. So I think there's been such a long history of, of people with disabilities, but I think particularly people with significant disabilities like intellectual disabilities whose job security is it oftentimes feels like a function of, of um, the economic reality of our country. So. Um, you know, we've talked about this great progress around employment. Still, many, many people with significant disabilities and disabilities in general work service jobs that uh, maybe didn't benefit from working online because or remotely because, you know, a service job is, you know, maybe working in retail, working in, in a restaurant. Those are in face-to-face jobs. You can't do that remotely. Um, but those jobs are oftentimes also cyclical with, the, with an economic ups and downs. And I think – so I always – um, have concern uh, with that. Um, I'm hopeful, and I think, again, go back to these positives, I'm hopeful that we've kind of broken through a moment. Um, but I think people with significant disabilities, place where I tend to operate and work um, uh, more focused on, uh, they seem to, seem to have more kind of cyclical mm-hmm. um, st- challenges with the workforce. I have a question that's come in from our producer. He says, uh, are there certain locations where it's easier for people with disabilities to get jobs. For an, for example, does it vary from city to city, like Chicago versus Indianapolis or urban versus rural? I would say, I mean, definitely you're, you're going to see more struggle in a rural environment. 
um, specifically from my standpoint of vision loss, you know, our, our individuals most likely are not driving anymore um, or have never drove. And that makes access to employment very difficult, very, very difficult, which is where the pandemic in a way was positive <laughs> because they could work from home and not have that barrier. Um, so I would say with, with our program being primarily central Indiana based here in Indianapolis and the surrounding counties, I, I do think there seem to be more opportunities in a more, you know, urban area, city access. I think for us, transportation is really the key. You know, where, how do they get to work? And, and we've seen individuals who will move from more of a rural area or a rural part of the state closer to Indy or closer to one of the larger cities so that they have that access to transportation and can actually find work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, population center matters, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I think the challenges are experienced by people with and without disabilities. Rural communities have fewer job opportunities. So, but I think added, and there's a, you mentioned that extra kind of layer of challenges, transportation, for example, or, or kind of some of the services and service infrastructure to support people to get to work, to maintain work, there's just fewer of those services and those access, and they're not maybe as accessible in some of the rural and, and maybe even some degree suburban communities as there is, say, in Indianapolis, for example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think tied into that is is that component that um, you know everyone is trying to get employees right now. Everyone is struggling to stay fully staffed, um, and including the providers who provide support to people with disabilities. And so your ability to get a job, be supported on that job, maintain that job, does very much depend on the availability of the services that you need to to get that employment and, and maintain that employment. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. You don't think about that ripple effect through the through the economy. Um, I wanted to ask Christy before we get too far along um, about Bosma. She sure. Could, what's the, you know, the history of Bosma as a nonprofit? What, what is the history? Over 100 years, right? <laughs> Long, longstanding history. Um, so it, we, we refer to it as Bosma Enterprises. It yeah. is a, a true enterprise model in that we really have three key components of the company. The first being what we refer to as the you know Bosma Enterprises, which is really our business side of the company, um, our corporate side, where we have a variety of different contracts. Our largest being the Veterans Administration, so uh, we package and supply and ship uh, gloves to the VA hospitals here in our nation, which is a wonderful, wonderful partnership, um, and, and many other amazing contracts as well. And then that allows us to have jobs for people who are blind or low vision to work within our company. Um, We are not sheltered work. That's often a question I get. We, uh, you know, everyone is paid well above minimum wage and same benefit package available, things of that nature. And then you've got the second component, which is where I sit, and that is in our Center for Visionary Solutions. This is the part of the company where we are providing services to uh, individuals who have lost their vision, whether that's suddenly or maybe it's a progressive condition, whatever that may be. And we look at, okay, what do you need as is someone living with vision loss? Um, we have our intensive, comprehensive vision rehabilitation center, which is housed in Indianapolis, where individuals from all over the state can come um, with a partnership of vocational rehabilitation services. And they are in class, essentially, Monday through Friday, receiving vision rehabilitation, how to live now without their vision in, in core areas, traveling. Maybe this is the first time they're using a cane Um using the computer again, you know, technology, your phone, your apps, things of that nature, uh, in every, you know, home personal management, you know, how do I cook safely now? So looking at that comprehensive training as a new new person to vision loss. Um, we also have some in-home training that we have pocketed throughout the state where individuals that need some of those in-home safety type things, um, we certainly will provide those types of training. And then, of course, my area is employment services. So after they have received the skills they need, then they're ready to go back to work just like anybody else would be. And so my team works directly with the individual to figure out what is that going to look like for them. Are they returning to the type of work they were doing before, or are we having to look at a whole new career path? 
And then um, within the last five years, we started youth services at Bosma where we're working with our teenagers as early as 14 who are visually impaired and helping them gain work skills and start to prepare for life after high school. And what's that going to look like, whether that's Mm -hmm. coming on to post-secondary or going on to work or what that might be. Mm -hmm. And then that third component is our foundation. We have the Bosma Visionary Opportunities Foundation who is tasked with raising funds and sponsorships, donors, things of that nature to support the services that we do because we do offer all of our services at no cost to our clients that are receiving them. Mm-hmm. Clayton? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm curious kind of what some of the, the, the common issues you guys run into when working to get people employed in, in this realm. It sounds like it's a lot of education about maybe you have a disability, but you're not less capable than anyone else. You know, what are the common issues you guys run into? I know that one um, issue, especially for for youth, um, maybe as they're transitioning out, is sort of figuring out how do they self-advocate for themselves um, and and have an understanding of, of what their needs are and, and being able to abs- ask for those needs and those supports on the job. Um, it, so And then just really having the expectation that regardless of what your disability it is, you can and should work, and you can and work in a job that you enjoy if, if the right supports are in place. Yeah, and I, 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 would, I would point to maybe a couple things. Um, I'll, I'll first I'll start on the support side. I think we've talked about it a little bit already, but um, supports are important, not for everybody with a disability, and by supports, I'm talking formal supports, um, government-funded uh, Medicaid supports, for example, vocational rehabilitation services. Um, some people need those supports, and again, I don't think every person, nor, nor do I think, I don't think every person with a disability requires them. And I think that population would agree with that. Um, but I think there are there are a, there is a large group that needs some supports. For some people, they need a lot of supports. Some people need fewer supports, but they need supports. And I think I think the the support network that we have right now is struggling because of the staffing challenges in, in Indiana and, and really around, around the nation. Um, you know, very you know, stone's throw from where we are right now, we have Stone Belt. They do phenomenal work. Um, they, just like many of the providers around this state, are struggling to provide the services that people with disabilities need. And I think those are critical supports that we need to acknowledge and then find ways to, to bolster so people can get the support they need to be successful, finding jobs, keeping jobs. Um, because because they don't just serve the person with a disability. They're also in a, in, a, in a one of their functions is to serve the employer that that person works for. There's much a support for that employer um, as they are for the person. So I think that's one piece. I think on the employer side, and I think this is a really important one, is you know again we've made huge strides. I think we need an employer. We need employers in this state to acknowledge and continue acknowledging the contributions this population can make and continue to make investments in their um, hiring, in their, uh, in their management, and in their and just in the opportunities that they provide this population. And I don't think it can be a passive you know, thing where whoever walks in the door, they need to be actively engaging in this rather than just hoping that um, that you know their ability to serve this and, and be an employer that include that is inclusive of people with disabilities, it's just going to happen. It's not going to just happen. They need to be active participants in improving and reaching out and engaging this population. I think it's a really uh, massive workforce that uh, can contribute a lot in in all industries. I think I, I, I want to come back to that in just a minute, but I want to bring David back on for to talk about. Um, your work with the Office of Disability Employment Policy. I mean, what what kind of policies at the federal level could address some of these issues that we've been talking about? Well, the Office of Disability Employment Policy, it's a, it's a policy operation. It doesn't uh, fund services uh, directly, but works with uh, multiple agencies at the federal level um, just on the issues we're talking about here, uh, improving uh, competitive integrated employment for people. And Eric's point about Indiana having uh, the issue of uh, a sufficient workforce to do this work for job coaches and employment specialists, uh, it's certainly a national issue and is under discussion in multiple agencies right now on what to do about this workforce issue of uh, direct support professionals in, uh, in communities across the country. And right now, 
uh, working particularly on issues of creative funding strategies around employment and on improvement in uh, community engagement for people with disabilities, broadly speaking. What what can can we we dig down a little bit deeper in that with community engagement? I mean, what are some policy decisions that can be made to help help encourage community engagement? Well, too often, if uh, people with significant disabilities aren't working, um, what what are they doing with the rest of their day? Um, and are there places to go, activities in the community to participate in, to be building a resume? doing volunteer work and engaging in the community in the way that uh, everybody else does uh, and using that as a pathway um, to employment in the community. So we think of community engagement uh, as a pathway to build a resume to uh, eventually be working as much as you want to. Okay, thanks. Uh, I want to just go back quickly to the the idea of um, diversity, equity, and inclusion and Accessibility. We were talking about that uh, before. It kind of goes into what we were talking about right before I, I asked uh, uh, David that question. But also, um, Christy, before the show, we were talking about some of the issues that you face. That people are coming to you because they see it as, um, I think you said, checking a box. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I, I think we're seeing an increase um in companies, what we're hearing, and, and, and it's been in articles too, is that companies are now having more of an emphasis on what they're calling DEI initiatives, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and, and we would even argue to say that there should be an A, and, and I think David had said earlier a B for, you know, A for accessibility and B for belonging. Um, and really, these initiatives benefit the whole culture of the company. But what what we're seeing is companies are like, oh, okay, you know, they're, they're even putting line items in their budget for DEI initiatives, right? And we'll get these calls sometimes from from companies, and, and I applaud them for, for doing their research to find us in the first right. place, right? Like, that's a step in the right direction. But it's got to be more than that phone call to say, oh, you know, we're hiring, and we just want to share our jobs with you. We're really valuing diversity and, you know, okay. That's great, but like I want to do more than that. I want more than your phone call. I want to. I want to have a conversation. Um, you know, I can say yes, we help people who are visually impaired get back to work, but that means one thing to me and means totally different thing to someone who has no experience with someone with that disability, right? Um, and what do we know about our culture in terms of vision loss is that there's still a lot of stereotypes about how someone who is visually impaired does anything say, oh, you can't see. How can you do that? You know, and it's like, well, actually, there's a lot of things they do. Um, but why would you need to know that unless you need to know that, right? And so I think I encourage companies to take it past the phone call. You know, don't just send me your leads. I don't want to just know about your job openings. I want to know that I can call you if we have a good candidate that has experience doing one of those jobs. And I can say, hey, we have someone with the skill set you're looking for. They've got experience and they've applied and just here's their name. You know, I, I want to take it to that next step. I want to take it even further from there. I want to come into your company. I want to see your work site. I want to see and meet your, your teams. I want to see if, what's the culture? I mean, sometimes we can pick up on that before we would ever recommend a client or someone, you know, applying there. I want to see people not just talk about DEI. I want to see people perform DEI and more than a phone call. I think it's got to be a conversation and it's got to be opening your doors just as much as it is opening your mindset. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about, ask about this culture piece. I, I hope this question makes sense, but it seems to me that if you do open your your doors and you have people with disabilities and working in your workplace, that it could greatly improve the culture of the place. Derek? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when you, when you think about what the business a business's purpose is, it is to you know serve something. It is to um, produce something and, and and sell it. It's you know have a service of some sort and sell it. Though you're selling it to customers. Um, if you know if you're a grocery store and you aren't an accessible place uh, for your workers or for the community, um, for a person with a disability, um, a person. Uh, of a different racial identity, uh, you know, whatever the community is, if you're not a, a place that is open, um, 
then people commute, you're losing opportunities to engage your community and have your community engage you as a business in that community. And I think one of those ways of representation is who's on your workforce. Um, if, if you walk into a grocery store and you don't see anybody with a disability, um, not that every disability is, is visible, but if you don't see yourself amongst the people working there, you might find a different grocery store or different service industry or different service that you're seeking. You might find realize you can get that somewhere else in a place that you feel like you're part of and can be represented there. So I, th I think there's a really important piece to that. And I think of that as an employer. I think of that, you know, we want to be a, an employer that looks like the community around us. And that, inclu that includes people with disabilities. And and we want people, part of that is because it's our mission and it's it, they're good employees and there's a variety of reasons on the business side. But the other side is we also want the community to feel like this is we are part of them rather than something entirely different and i think i i think you've alluded to that but i think that um i think we can all do a lot better in that i agree i would back up that too going back to the dei thing is you know these companies that will advertise strong dei initiatives but then their websites are not accessible to someone who uses screen reading technology and further there when you go to apply for a job on their website the job forms are not accessible. So right there, you've just lost the potential of a really good employee because your website is not even accessible. And that's a very simple thing that you can have someone in, in like, for example, with Bosma, you know, that's something we can do. We can test that and give you feedback. So I agree with that. And I agree too, is that when you look at our society and the community around us, does everybody look the same? Does everybody do the same things? Does every, so why would we expect our workforce to be that way? You know, we, we've got to have that. And I think when you're having work conversations, you need different perspectives. You need different experiences. You need different backgrounds because that's what's going to drive it forward. Because that's, again, like Derek said, who you're representing or who you're serving or who you're trying to sell to. Um, you know, our world isn't identical. So our workforces don't need to be identical either. And I, I, you know, I think one of the things we're trying to get at it is that it's more than just hiring people with disabilities. It's about creating a culture shift within the business that, um, you know, we talk about how some people with disabilities may need supports to help them become employed or stay employed. Um, but those supports don't have to be formal supports. They don't have to be paid for supports. It can be what we call natural supports, where it is within the culture of the workplace that people help each other with jobs or uh, provide guidance or provide just the, the natural support of, of adjusting the environment to make it more friendly for somebody who has a physical mobility issue or adjusting the way a job is done or just simply recognizing that, um, that as Christy said, we all, we all do things differently. And, and it's not just because this is the way I was taught the job. It doesn't mean that it can't be done somewhat differently and still reach the end goal. So it's, it's an entire culture shift of, of acceptance and of, um, of support, quite honestly. It's just having it, – it's not everybody by themselves. It's we are a team and we support each other, you know, regardless of what that need is. So, Judith, I'm curious, on, on the side of the, the actual employee, what are some steps that IU is taking to help students with disabilities be prepared to enter the workplace? Um, so, as far as IU or, or our center? Your um, center, our sorry, center. sorry. Okay, so, um, you know, I actually, um, we, we don't have a lot of really close work with IU students. Um, although one of my staff, Cecilia Buckley, does she is the faculty advisor for the the neurodivergent. It's not committee. Oh my God, I've forgotten the whole name. Neurodivergent <laughs> committee or okay. council at IU. I can't remember the full name. I apologize. Um, and that's a group of faculty and students who are really focused on the concept of disability and and acceptance and support on the job. And, and they've recently um, connected with some folks at the Office of Faculty and Academic Affairs to do some joint presentations for faculty and staff on um, disability, accommodations, um, even just how easy it is to do accommodations. Um, I attended a, a training for directors and chairs um, that the Office of Faculty and Academic Affairs sponsored, and 
one of the things I did is I, I stood up and I shared because faculty were starting to express concern about the cost of accommodations. Mm. And I was like, oh, guess what? It's not that expensive. Right. You know, it's, it's like there's research out there that shows that an average accommodation is, is a one-time cost of $500. And, and that mostly making accommodations on the job whether it be for students that are in the classroom, which our Office of Disability Services helps with, or whether it's for faculty that you're interviewing and hiring for a job. It's simply about thoughtful planning and consideration and conversation. Most accommodations are free. Um, and whenever possible, the more universal we can make things, the better. For example, I mean, I have 17, 18 folks who work at my center. And um, a few years back, someone had a need for a better chair. And you know, we didn't have that great of chairs in the center at the moment anyway. So I was like, let's get everybody a good chair, right? Because everybody would benefit from a chair that was better designed, that, you know, an ergonomic assessment, because IU does offer those things. Um, and so it, it is very easy to look at an environment and say, how can we make this better for everybody? And I think that you know IU does that in their training for faculty and staff, but it is still um, uh, awareness is still not as high as it needs to be. Um, you know, still you will have professors that will um, not think an accommodation is necessary, or somehow think that you know extra time or whatever the request is is um, is not going to work for them. Um, and not really understand what their responsibility is as a professor by law to provide those accommodations to students with disabilities who need them. Um, and so I think, you know, we're trying to reach out more into IU to do more partnerships and, and share more information in that field um, and, and help in that area. But it is, it's in, just, just like in our community, we all have a long way to go. So, We have about uh, 10 minutes to go in the program, so if you have a question or a comment, you can still get it in, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 877-285-9348. At Noon Edition is our Twitter handle if you want to send us a question there or news at indianapublicmedia.org. David, I wanted to ask you, uh, um, just in terms of a lot of things that have been said and that Judith was just saying about, you know, we've talked a lot about progress Day. So, you know, from your perspective, and, you know, I saw that uh, senior advisor uh, before your name, so I know you've been at this a while. Where, where do we still need to make the most progress? I mean, I know we've made, we've made quite a bit of progress, but where would you, you want to put our, our energy, our, our funding to try to make the most difference at this point? Yeah, well, it's a great question. Uh, a couple of things come to mind. You know, we were talking earlier about uh, the improvements in the employment rate. It's like, okay, can we sustain this improvement over time? Um, I think the first thing that we definitely have to pay attention to is we talked a little bit about is the workforce issue. You know, do we have um, people, uh, can we hire and train and support the staff to do this work around uh, improving employment outcomes for people with disabilities? Big problem. It's nationwide, well beyond Indiana's problem. Uh, I think we need uh, more attention to that. Thinking about how people are recruited and trained, and and paid. Uh, so I think we need uh, attention to that. Uh, second, I think we need to find this new normal in um, a hybrid workplaces, uh, in-person versus uh, remote work. And if we find a new normal there, then that can help sustain improvement in employment. I think as well. And I'm hoping that the accommodations that uh, all employers had to learn for all of their employees in the last two and a half years is also something that can be sustained so that accommodating becomes um, a more frequent um, occurrence in the workplace rather than just a pandemic occurrence in the workplace. Derek, same question. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm going to agree 100% with all the things David said, but I'm going to add, so uh, so I'm not going to repeat. Um, I, I think, I think so, how about this? I think a, a major place of opportunity is really around higher education, um, be that a four-year degree, a two-year degree, but, you know, post-high um, school education, certification, whatever that is, I think that we, particularly here in Indiana, you know, we have... Um, a great infrastructure around the community co community college infrastructure here with Ivy Tech, 
that is a very rare infrastructure to have. That is a, something that that we as a state should be thinking about as uh, for everybody. And I think I think this is happening. But I think it's an opportunity um, as kind of a post secondary entry, where again many people with disabilities are excluded from. They're excluded from a lot of post secondary opportunities. And for many, it starts at that um, at that first entry into college. Um, but I'm going to focus on community college, and then I think even beyond that, then you have four-year degree and beyond. Um, I think that there are major opportunities that we should be thinking about of finding of boosting opportunities within that community college, and then four-year degree programs that are inclusive and we're, uh, for people with significant disabilities, a group that is particularly excluded. And I'm talking about people with intellectual disabilities, uh, people with cognitive challenges. Um, so finding ways to support entry into those, much like we have supports for employment, supports into those kind of spaces to gain the credentials needed for quality jobs. Because, and I'm not, I don't want to, to dismiss um, service jobs. They're really important. A lot of people do them. Um, and there, and but I think many people also want something beyond that. They and I think we just need to acknowledge that. And for for many, the way to do that is through post secondary credentialing. And I think finding ways that are open for everybody, but also supportive of people with significant disabilities is particularly important. I think that can keep this progress going um, and keep it sustainable, uh, or rather. Um, keep it growing um, into quality jobs, not just jobs, period. Whatever job will take it. I think it's quality that I'm talking about. Yeah, I think just to follow up on that, I, I, we had a question before um, sent to me about underemployment. Is there an issue of underemployment? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. You know, I mean, people may have the capacity to work many more hours, but maybe aren't giving being given those hours or maybe as Derek said, maybe they're doing an entry-level job, but could be doing a higher-level job with a little bit of training or the right supports in place. Um, and in some cases, I think you know that that we talked about that um, uh, deficit in service providers to support people as they're trying to move into employment and and. Um, I think that one of the places we need to be thinking about is how do we creatively use all the resources that are available to us? Um, because it, we don't want people graduating from high school and then waiting for employment services because there's not enough support. What are those other resources that our state has? And we have so many resources in this state around employment. It's fabulous. But how do we make sure that people with disabilities aren't just funneled into disability support services, that they get to take advantage of the post-secondary education options, the options that the Division for Workforce Development offer, or our career and technical education centers? What are some of these other pathways of support that can help with that, that underemployment issue? Okay. I, I would agree <laughs> with everything. It's the fun of going last, right? Yeah, right. Um, I, I think from a vision loss standpoint, in terms of underemployment, I, we definitely sometimes will have employers, again, make that assumption that because they have a disability, which is just their vision, and in this case, they just send us entry level only. Whereas this might be the person we're working with maybe had a higher level degree or, you know, whatever they did in their, you know, we've had former CEOs and I mean, high level individuals, we have everything from never worked before to very professional, but sometimes they just get lumped into entry level, think, oh, they have a disability and they just only think about an entry level when that's, that's not the case. For vision loss, you know, we talk about, yes, we've seen progress and we're, we've, we've been very successful here in our state with helping our individuals obtain work, but for us, when you look at just this subset of disabilities, nationally, you're looking at a 70% unemployment rate, and that has been that way for a long time for people who are visually impaired, and that's not okay, right? Mm -hmm. um, so this is a bigger issue of all agencies that are similar to BOSMA across the board of coming together even within ourselves of pulling resources like, hey, okay, you've got this training program, okay, you've got that. How can we all work together to fight that national 70%, 7-0 for, for people who are visually impaired. But in, in the end, we're not doing much better. It's around that 60, 62%. So, and we know these are individuals that have degrees, have experiences, have work histories, you know, maybe through accident or a genetic condition, you know, they've lost their vision, but they didn't 
they didn't lose who they were. You know, they they may be visually impaired, but they are not educationally impaired. They are not experience impaired. They are not, you know, lack of this or that. It's just the vision. But they just get lumped into that that stereotype of, well, I don't know what I would do if I were blind, so I don't understand how they would do this job, right? We've got to remove that that focus and and be more open. So I think education is where that's at. We've got just a couple more minutes. A quick question for um, for both David and Derek in particular, I think. You know, we're in a very divided um, time in our nation right now. Does this create any additional problems for people who are working with lawmakers about issues of disabilities, or is it not, um, maybe not reached down to that level? David. Yeah, I, and I'll, I'll start this, David, so feel free to, to chime in here. I, I, think, I think what's really important to understand, and I think the disability community does a pretty good job of, of articulating this, is disability is not a Republican or a Democratic issue. It truly isn't. Um, you know, at some point, any it could it could happen to any any of us. Um, it, for for many, uh, their sons, their daughters, themselves, they have a disability. This is how it goes, um, and and we as a community are not served best when there is the division. We need because solutions have to come from everybody um, to working together to, to find the ways to, to solve those. I, I will say, and David, I'll, I'll end it with this. I will say, Indiana has a long history of solving these challenges um, at the state house. So I think that there has been strong leadership. It doesn't mean that we all agree, um, or that you know the the policymakers or the legislators don't agree, don't always agree. Um, they do. They don't always agree. But but we do work hard to solve those, and I, I commend them for that. That's not typical in every state. But David, I'll, I'll let you. David, thirty seconds. Uh, the disability legislation uh, always has bipartisan support. And right now there's a um, piece of legislation called the Transformation to Competitive Integrated Employment Act that has uh, bipartisan sponsorship at this point in time. So uh, I think disability issues uh, cuts party lines. All right. Well. Thank you very much, David Mink. And also we have other guests, Derek Nord. Um, Christy Russell and Judith Gross. Thank you all for being here. It's been a great conversation. I hope hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I want to thank my co-host today, Clayton Baumgarth, also our producers, Kathy Knapp and Nathan Moore, and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org and from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com.